Banks and credit unions are focusing more attention on preventing ACH and wire fraud. But are they investing in the right technologies and solutions? From a legal perspective, what and how should financial institutions interpret the meaning of reasonable security? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm joined today by Joseph Burton, a nationally known legal mind in the field of information security and cybercrime law. Joe, you speak with banking institutions and businesses about the increasing prevalence of online security flaws that commonly lead to ACH and wire fraud. Can you give a brief overview of the current legal liability environment banking institutions and businesses face when ACH and wire fraud occur? Well, with um, uh, ACH and uh, wire fraud at, uh, right now, uh, banks are looking at a situation where um, there's almost a, uh, a presumption of liability unless they take uh, certain steps uh, to prevent that. And uh, they are, in a, in a lot of ways now, by including provisions in the contract, uh, which tend to uh, limit uh, their liability. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there have been a, a spate of cases recently where um, uh, individuals uh, have tried to uh, sue their banks when there have been uh, unauthorized uh, uh, transactions. So this is a developing area, and it's uh, developing right now in the area of commercial transactions, but uh, uh, there's still uh, plenty of room for uh, development in cases in the, uh, in, uh, in the area uh, where uh, individual consumers are involved. And what legal obligation, Joe, do banks and credit unions have to protect their customers and members on the retail and commercial sides? Uh, in some ways, it's simple. Um, banks on the commercial uh, side, in that context, uh, have an obligation to provide uh, commercially reasonable authentication procedures. And similarly, uh, they have an obligation to act in good faith with respect to uh, uh, the procedures they employ to accept uh, uh, transfer uh, authorization. So those are the two uh, pillars, if you will, uh, and both are, uh, in fact, based on a notion of uh, acting uh, reasonably, and uh, both of them come out of uh, some recent cases that occurred uh, last year. What lessons should we have learned from last year's significant court decisions on ACH and wire fraud? Well, there were two cases uh, last year that came out. Uh, they were in the summer of uh, 2011. Um, uh, one of those cases is a case that's called Experimental versus uh, Comerica Bank. It's a federal court case that came out of uh, the uh, Eastern District of uh, Michigan. It was a district court uh, level case. And on um, the other case that uh, came out last year, about the same time, I think it was decided finally in about August of last year, was a case called Patco Construction versus People's United Bank. Both of those cases are really the two leading cases in this area. And interestingly enough, uh, they came out uh, on opposite sides of the issue uh, to a certain degree. In the, uh, in, in the PATCO case, um, uh, and by the way, both of those cases were cases which involved uh, a situation in which uh, the bad guys were able to take over uh, the, uh, the authorization 
uh, for a uh, commercial user and trick the bank into releasing funds. Um, and in both of those cases, it appeared that the bad guys were able to do it by uh, invading uh, the commercial user's uh, computer as opposed to some sort of attack on the bank system. Uh, and in the, in the PATCO case, uh, the court looked at the, the question of the commercial reasonableness under the Uniform Commercial Code, the UCC. The court looked at the commercial reasonableness of the procedures used by the bank to authenticate requests for the transfer of funds. And in that case, um, uh, the court found that the uh, procedures used by the bank in that case were commercially reasonable. And there was a uh, large dispute over whether or not they were because the bank was using what was uh, contended by them and questioned by the plaintiff to be uh, single-factor authentication. Um, the bank argued that it was multi-factor. Uh, the plaintiffs argued that it was single-factor. The court determined that it was multi-factor, determined that it was commercially reasonable, and that ended the case, and they, they found in favor of the bank. Um, the other case, the, uh, the experimental case, was a case in which the issue of the commercial reasonableness of the authentication procedure was decided at an early stage. It was not the deciding factor in the case like it was in PACO. In experimental, the court determined that the plaintiff, the commercial user, in the contract with the bank had agreed that the authentication procedures that were used were commercially reasonable. That was, a, in, in essence, an acknowledgment or an admission, and the court didn't have to decide that question. However, uh, the court went on to consider, under the UCC, another provision, which provides that the acceptance of the order has to be done in a manner of good faith. It has to be accepted in a way that involves reasonable standards of fair dealing. And the court in that case determined that the bank failed to demonstrate that it had followed uh, reasonable standards of fair dealing. Those two cases are the leading cases right now, and they really sort of delineate where the law is. And that's in the commercial area. There are few cases uh, with respect to how the law might apply in a non-commercial uh, situation. And what about other cases? Do we expect any other cases to result in court decisions soon? Most of the other cases uh, were decided on other grounds uh, or were settled. And subsequent to PATCO and uh, the experimental case, there have been a, a few other cases, but none of them look like they're going to be teed up for really any sort of definitive rulings by the court. So right now, PATCO and experimental are the cases that, uh, that we have to, uh, to go on and, uh, and rely on. When we talk about ACH fraud and commercial breaches, 
the updated authentication guidance that was issued by the FFIEC addresses both commercial and retail accounts. Are banks and credit unions viewing authentication and fraud detection differently for commercial and retail customers? I think they may be viewing them differently in terms of of uh, how they may view the uh, security procedures that they have to uh, or that they ought to uh, apply. I think the reality is that the FFIEC does not view them differently, and there appears to be a, a significant amount of confusion, uh, I think, on this point. Some of that confusion is, uh, is also uh, reflected in, in the court decisions. Uh, and what I mean by that is this. The FFIEC, in the, uh, the most recent guidance, talked about uh, a couple of areas. One of those areas was um, the uh, authentication of, uh, of uh, transfer requests. Another area was uh, discussion of layered security. Um, and, and then finally, there, there was in the, uh, in the guidance a discussion of uh, uh, customer education and, and also the effectiveness of certain uh, authentication techniques. Um, and I think what happened uh, in a lot of instances that what people took away from the guidance was a focus on authentication and less of a, a recognition and focus on the concept of layered security, um, of which authentication is only uh, one part. Uh, and the the guidelines uh, go specifically into other means of uh, of layered uh, layered security uh, that could be used uh, in order to uh, make uh, transactions safer. Some of those include uh, things like fraud detection uh, and out of bound verification, et cetera. Some standard uh, or at least well known techniques in the area. Um, and what it seems like has happened is that um, uh, to date there's been a focus on the on this notion of authentication and the focus on the correct uh, technology to use to authenticate, and less of a focus on perhaps some of the uh, some of the other uh, layers of pr pr protection that can be used. Um, and I think a good example of it is. Uh, is uh, uh, the whole notion of, uh, of fraud detection, um, which if you think about uh, banking on the, uh, on the retail side with respect to uh, credit cards and, uh, and oftentimes debit cards, uh, a good part of the security in that area is uh, driven by uh, techniques like uh, fraud detection and monitoring. Um, as a methodology of ensuring that there is no fraud uh, in a transaction. Whereas uh, if you look at the ACH cases, um, it would appear that the, the focus is on authentication, whether we're talking about uh, one-factor or multi-factor authentication. If there's any lesson to be learned from, I think, the cases uh, and from the FFIEC, it is that layered security is the key and that the FFIEC really sees layered security being the key for both commercial and for retail level uh, transactions. 
According to our Faces of Fraud survey, 29% of the banks and credit unions that responded said they don't fully understand the guidance. And it sounds like what from your saying, you know, you agree that they're focusing too much on authentication and then ignoring some of these other layers that they should be investing in. It's hard to know why, but as I also said, it seems to come out uh, with respect to the cases and, and, frankly, with the discussion in some of the cases uh, about this uh, area, that there's a conflation of this, uh, of this notion of, of authentication, which I would call a, a front-end, if you will, security mechanism, and sort of the, the, the back-end security mechanism, of, which involve things like fraud detection uh, and uh, out-of-band uh, verification uh, and, and other techniques uh, that could be used. And it's clear that FFIEC sees both of those, both the front-end and the back-end, as being critical to uh, to that, but um, the industry in some ways does not yet appear to have picked up on uh, on this distinction. In light of the decision, particularly in the experimental case, the back-end processes become more important. That's because under uh, experimental, it, it, it's pretty clear that a financial institution can uh, fairly well insulate itself against legal attacks based on uh, the notion that its authentication procedures were, were inappropriate. And it can do that via contracts which essentially uh, have the customer admit that the uh, procedures are, are commercially reasonable. Certainly, that would protect an institution uh, where the ball is anywhere near the strike zone. I think if, it's, if the ball is way outside of the strike zone, even in that circumstance, um, the courts may be reluctant to do it. But if it's close, if it's arguable, and uh, there's a provision in which uh, has the customer admit it, you're going to be protected on the authentication end. But what's clear from experimental is that you're not going to be protected with respect to an analysis of whether or not uh, you've acted in good faith, which considers all of the facts and circumstances surrounding the transaction. And uh, just like in the experimental case, the court seems to look at a lot of these back-end security procedures and gave less investigation to uh, the front-end authentication problem. So from a legal perspective, do you see the courts turning to the FFIEC guidance for background and insight when it comes to defining reasonable security and perhaps the authentication and detection solutions they're investing in? I think that the FFIEC will be seen as sort of a baseline standard, which if it is not met, um, there would be at least a presumption that the uh, uh, the institution uh, in that case was not was not acting reasonably. Joe, I want to thank you again for your time today. Thank you for having me. I uh, very much enjoyed it. Again, we've just heard from Joseph Burton, a legal expert in the areas of information security and technology. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.